Welcome to the Living by Faith podcast. My name is Josh DeGroat, and this is episode number 13. Thanks for listening. This is a podcast where we take a look at some news items, news and events, theology, and some history, and we do all of this from the perspective of the Christian's life of faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and jump in. Well, there's so much going on in our culture right now, and it's hard to know exactly where to begin. And so many things have pretty significant ramifications for Christians. But what I want to do this the, uh, this, uh, this episode is I want to take a look at some major developments that have taken place over the last couple of weeks in regards to the state's intrusion into the worship and ministry of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically, I want to take a look at just a couple of cases and, and, and relate it to how we ought to think about these things and how we ought to prepare for more events like this to take place because they're coming. The first story comes to us all the way from the Supreme Court, where the highest court in the land rejected a Nevada church's plea that the state's coronavirus-related uh, coronavirus related restrictions on churches were unlawful, giving preferential treatment to casinos over houses of worship. The vote was five to four, with the Chief Justice John Roberts siding with the court's liberal judges, which, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's doing that more and more on some pretty significant cases, which is unfortunate. The majority justices actually gave no reason for rejecting the plea of the Calvary Chapel Church in Dayton, Nevada. But the four justices uh, in, in the uh, minority uh, made their dissent very clear. And I'll just read one quote that gets to the right to the point from Justice Neil Gorsuch um, and his dissenting opinion. He said this. He said this, quote, The world we inhabit today with a pandemic upon us poses unusual challenges, but there is no world in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel. End quote. Wow. That's a zinger. That is a that is a a, a damning accusation uh, toward the, the, the majority justices that wouldn't even take the case up. Increasingly, however, that's exactly the world that we live in. The second story is out of California, and it has to do with Grace Community Church. The elders and leaders of Grace Community Church, which is a very large church in the L.A. area with its well-known pastor, John MacArthur, made headlines late last week and over the weekend. They wrote a long, methodical, clear, biblically grounded statement entitled, A a Biblical Case for the Church's Duty to Remain Open, where they made the case for refusing to adhere to limitations put on churches in the state of California. And if you know anything about what's going on there, the the governor has put uh, extremely tight limitations on churches. This came after weeks of the church not meeting, or at least not meeting as they used to, um, but, but things came to a head when the restrictions on churches in California began to infringe upon how the worship of the church, uh, excuse me, of how the church should worship, and when it became abundantly clear that the restrictions were not being evenly applied. Uh, it came out uh, maybe a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago that churches in California were not allowed to sing in their worship gatherings, and they were still only allowed to have a max of 100 people or 25% capacity, whichever was, uh, whichever was less. So the most a church could have would be 100 people, even if the, the church sanctuary could, could seat 5,000. 
These restrictions were put in place while allowing mass protests to take place, taking up city blocks with thousands of people shoulder to shoulder. Some of these some of these protests, many of them, descended into absolute chaos um, and riots. And it seemed like the governor of California and city city officials in Los Angeles, in particular, were um, were didn't didn't show a lack of concern. And in some cases, it seemed like they even encouraged the protests. When the statement was released, not surprisingly, it created quite a stir. L.A. officials actually said they were going to cut power to the church. They didn't do so for Sunday's service, and I don't, I don't believe they've done so yet, but we're going to keep our eyes on it, on what's going on there and see what happens. And I just want to say, I praise God for John MacArthur and his leadership and all of this and their stand that they've taken. What they're facing in California and what increasingly other states and cities are facing across our nation is nothing short of tyranny, nothing short of tyrannical rule. No doubt these are interesting times, and as Christians, we must always remember that the fundamental Christian confession, the most basic and the most ancient and the most simple, the most all-of-life-shaping confession is this, Jesus is Lord. We get that right out of Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Christ is Lord, and you are not. Christ is Lord, and your neighbor and your neighbor's slavish demands are not. Christ is Lord, and Caesar is not. Caesar being whatever government, governmental jurisdiction you find yourself under, and, and all of us find ourselves under a federal government, state government, and local government. Jesus is Lord. We must bow to him, and we must give him our full allegiance. Each church and leadership team within the church needs to seek the Lord in order to be faithful in their context. I'm not suggesting that every church needs to respond as Grace Community Church did. However, the non-negotiable is Jesus is Lord, period. And every single Christian needs to do the same thing. And living under the Lordship of Christ will bring you into collision with every pretend Lord, every government that wants to be God, that wants to put itself in the place of God. Our faithfulness to Christ will bring us into conflict with it. So, if the governor of a state says churches must not meet indefinitely, or if the governor of California says no singing allowed in worship services, which he has, but if other governors or city officials say something like that, or if a city council says churches should not participate in communion, what should a church do? And what should Christians do? Well, churches and Christians should say, um, I don't think so. And why? Because Jesus is Lord, and he has commanded us to worship him together as the gathered church. We're commanded to worship the Lord with singing. Jesus gave us the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to be kept until he returns. And so these are, these are non-negotiables if, we're, if our commitment to the Lordship of Christ is firm and clear. Now, it should be said, we should say no to governmental tyranny, not with a snarl, not with, not with an attitude, but with a smile. We should proclaim our allegiance to Christ joyfully. And when it comes to resisting civil authorities, which I think more and more we may find ourselves in situations where we need to, 
they should get, they being the civil authorities, should get a good idea of what it means for Christians to say the joy of the Lord is our strength. The government has the responsibility to protect its citizens, and policies should be crafted in emergencies to protect while to protect life while also protecting liberty. The foundational liberty being religious liberty. Besides, every person with his head on straight understands that this virus, COVID-19, is not the Black Death. I mean, not even close. The Black Death between the years 1347 and 1351 took out a third of the population in Europe. This is not that. (laughs) It's not that. And it's very likely that once the election is over in November, COVID-19 will ride off into the sunset and at an opportune time, another crisis will take its place for political expediency. So we as Christians must be clear. There, there is a place for submission to authorities, governing authorities, no doubt. We are not scofflaws. We are not just looking for every opportunity to thumb our nose at the government. N- no, that's not what Christian, that's not the Christian attitude. But Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of the church. He is Lord of every individual Christian, and we must bow to him and confess his lordship. The next section is what I call the catechesis section. And uh, for centuries, Christians gave themselves to the practice of learning the doctrines of the Christian faith by way of a catechism. Catechism usually comes in the form of questions and answers, where a question is asked and an answer is given. There's usually scriptures to uh, to support and confirm uh, each of the question, each question and answer. And this was a way that that Christian young Christians, young and old, learned the doctrines of the Christian faith. I think this is a practice that's sorely missing in our day. I think there's there's a widespread uh, ignorance of biblical truth, even among Christians in the church, even among Christians that go to church weekly. And this would be this would uh, this practice, if taken up again, um, would go a long way in helping. And so I'm I'm doing my part to pr- promote the practice of catechesis of learning the doctrines of the Christian faith by way of catechism. So all that to say, I'm making my way through a modern catechism called the New City Catechism. It takes the form of 52 questions and answers, so one for each week, and there's a scripture that goes along with each. New City, it's not its not a novel catechism. What it does is it takes from old ancient catechisms um, and confessions of faith like the Heidelberg and the Belgic and the Westminster and puts them in more modern vernacular uh, for our present day. So you can get this uh, new CD catechism. You can download an app for free on your phone. It's really slick. I would, I would strongly encourage you to do it. So we're at question 13 and answer 13. Here's question 13. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? The answer, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought word and deed. Think about that answer. Since the fall, no hum, no mere human being has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. Because God's standards are perfect, it's not just about our outward actions, but it's about our thoughts and our words as well. God's standards are perfect And because even as Christians, we still struggle with the sinful nature. It hasn't been completely eradicated. It will when Christ comes, but it hasn't been yet. 
we cannot keep the law of God perfectly. And in fact, we consistently break it in thought, word, and deed. Even take the, the, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love, love God with all that you have at all times. Does anyone do that for one day ever? I don't think so. This is why we need the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. We need a righteousness given to us that we ourselves don't possess. We need the perfect obedience or righteousness of Jesus to be counted as ours. That's the glory of the gospel. Through faith in Christ, the spotless active obedience of Christ, whereby he did all that the law required, is counted as ours. It's credited to our account. Think of a bank account, and our bank account is infinitely in the red, and Christ is infinitely in the black, and in his perfect record, his great riches of righteousness are transferred to our account. But if we're honest, we, we know that we all sin. We still do what we shouldn't, and we don't always do what we should. In other words, we don't and cannot keep the law of God perfectly. And to take it a step further, we consistently break it. For the Christian, there's a Latin phrase which Martin Luther coined that helps us understand how we can be considered righteous in God's sight and yet still struggle with sinning. The phrase is, it's a Latin phrase, it's simul justice et peccator. At the, and it means this, at the same time, righteous and sinner. We are righteous in Christ because his righteousness is counted as ours, and yet at the same time, in ourselves, we are still sinners. There is the gracious gift of Christ's righteousness and the ongoing battle with sin. On the one hand, the, the gracious gift of God's right of Christ's righteousness given to us fills us with joy and confidence before God because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that cannot ever increase or decrease. It's perfect and it's given to us as a gift. But the reality of this ongoing battle with sin also helps us um, realize that we that we do still battle and we are to give ourselves to the to the ongoing fight against temptation and sin. The unbeliever, however, is only under sin and in the grip of sin as described in our passage for question and answer 13. The passage is out of Romans 3:10 through 12 and it says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So, Christians, the gospel, the gospel, grab hold of this today. And if you're listening and you don't know if you're a Christian, grab hold of this and become one. The gospel is the good news of God's gracious gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In the history section, I want to go back to the founding of our country, the United States, and talk about something that I think is often misunderstood. 
uh, America has is is a flawed country, and even even our founding is flawed. It's not perfect because it was founded by flawed men. Um, but it's uh, there's we need to know our history as a nation, and we need to know the Christian underpinnings of America. Without question, many of the founding fathers were true Orthodox Trinitarian Christians. Not all of them. Some of them were deists. Um, but 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 many of them were, were were legit, solid Christians, flawed men, flawed men, no doubt. Um, but we need to understand our history. Perhaps you've heard the phrase "separation of church and state." It's often used. Uh, it's often stated that the First Amendment prohibits religion from intruding into government, thus requiring separation of church and state. The implication, or what's often um, implicated from this, is that the founding fathers of the United States wanted a secular state where religion had no place in, sh- in the shaping of public policy. But in actuality, this could not be further from the truth. When the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights was passed, it had only two purposes, and these two purposes are plain to see in the language. Here's what the first clause in the First Amendment says. It says this. Now, mind you, this is, these are the opening words of the Bill of Rights. It says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment, an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So again, two purposes in the First Amendment or in this part of the First Amendment. The first is that there there would be no established national church, or to put it another way, there would be no Church of the United States. Remember, the majority of our founders came from Great Britain, which had the Church of England, and many of our founders came from families that fled England seeking religious freedom from the oppressive relationship between the national church and, and the throne. But we must keep in mind that while the First Amendment says there shall be no national government, or no national church, excuse me, at least nine of the 13 states, nine of the 13 original colonies, had a state-recognized church. And this was no violation of the First Amendment. It was that Congress, the federal, the federal legislature, uh, sh- shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. It said nothing about the colonies. So, The second purpose of the First Amendment expressly states that the government should not interfere with the free practice of religion. That's it. The state should not meddle. When I say state, I mean the federal, the government, should not meddle in the religious affairs of the people. It it, it does not say that religion should play no role in helping to shape the legal system and the public policies in America. So all the talk about the Founding Fathers wanting a secular state is utter nonsense. It's nonsense. They understood that for liberty to be maintained, it must be honored by a virtuous and freedom-loving people, people whose lives are shaped by the truth of the scriptures, by the God who gave a law, who who is a lawgiver. One of the founders you may may have heard of um, is a man named John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon was a Presbyterian minister. He was actually the only clergyman to, to sign the Declaration of Independence. After the Revolutionary War, General George Washington proclaimed December 18, 1777 as the first 
National Thanksgiving Day. John Witherspoon preached a a Thanksgiving message during which he urged the people he was preaching to to do the following. He said, quote, live for the glory of God and the public interest of religion and the good of others as civil liberty cannot be long preserved without virtue. Do you hear that? Civil liberty cannot be long preserved without virtue. Where does virtue come from? It comes from submitting to God's rule. Witherspoon also stressed the following. He said, quote, he is the best friend of American liberty who is most sincere and active in promoting pure and undefiled religion. End quote. So a secular state where religious beliefs have no place in public policy, is that what the founders wanted for America? I don't think so. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. And so as the people of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we care about liberty, and if we care about the good of our neighbor, and if we care about the good of our children and grandchildren, we need to, in the words of John Witherspoon, live for the glory of God, the public interest of religion, the public interest of religion, not just your own private religious beliefs, but the public interest of religion, and the good of others, as civil liberty cannot be long preserved without virtue. So let's do that. Christians, let's let's heed the ancient words of John Witherspoon. Thanks again for listening to the Living by Faith podcast. If you found it helpful, please subscribe, like, and share. And until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all.